0: Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Good morning. I encourage you to be taking out your Bibles and study along with us from the Word of God. We're going to be... uh, trying to continue to strengthen and edify each other in our worship this morning as we have been encouraged through song and through worship that we've been offering to our God, being able to remember Jesus and His great sacrifice and the forgiveness of our sins that we have received through His blood. And we're so thankful and blessed to have that great sacrifice and the the blessings that have come from that. We're thankful for the each and every one that is here this morning that... We are able to lift each other up and to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. And we're so thankful for the many visitors that we have with us this morning. If you have any questions or anything that you would like to sit down and further discuss, we are happy to do so because we want to just simply do what the Bible teaches us. That is our goal here at Westside. Today we are going to talk about a subject that will probably make us all feel uncomfortable. It's not a pleasant topic to think about. It's one that is actually some people try to erase out of the Bible and out of doctrine and and our teaching. It's a topic that people find disheartening and discouraging and they would like to remove it from everything that we would believe. That topic is hell. Hell is a very serious matter, and even in, we might expect this from mainstream Christianity, if I could describe that, just anyone who would confess or profess to be a Christian, we might expect it from that, but even among God's people, we have seen departures and people trying to soften the edges of the subject of hell. Ed Fudge, a member of the non-institutional churches of Christ, began to teach and promote the idea of annihilation, that the soul just continue or just poof, you're gone after you die. And then others have followed in his footsteps. Uh, A man named by the name of Clark Pinnock said, Let me say at the outset that I consider the concept of hell as endless torment in body and mind an outrageous doctrine, a theological and moral enormity, a bad doctrine of the tradition which needs to be changed. He tells you right there the agenda, doesn't he? That this doesn't sit well with me and so it therefore needs to be changed. I find that to be very problematic. Problematic. And while we might think about hell in some very serious terms, we're going to look at several passages this morning that would cause us to be afraid of hell. In Luke the twelfth chapter, in Luke chapter twelve, whenever Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples and telling them of the warning them of the leaven of the Pharisees, the, the hypocrisy that they promoted, he said in verse five. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Any feeling of uncomfortableness that you have this morning, Jesus says you need to have that. You need to fear hell. Because Jesus is the one person in the New Testament that spoke the most about hell. We will not have time to look at all of the passages. That would be a sermon and a half in and of itself. But Jesus spoke about hell more than any single person in the New Testament. And that probably comes as a shock to many people. Because how could the one who came to promote love and grace and truth and give his life as the sacrifice for sin, how could He, this caricature that we have of Jesus that He's this uh, you know, pacifist, that He never does anything that would cause anger for somebody, that He's just kind of this lovable, adorable teddy bear, and He's not prickly at all. How could He be the one that would speak the most about hell? In our modern sensibilities... It's hard to reconcile that, isn't it? But as the idea among people who would profess to be Christians, they want to turn to this idea of annihilation. And I've had friends of mine that have been allured by that path that just after you die, you're completely annihilated, your soul does not continue to exist. I think they have a hard time with passages such as Matthew chapter 25, one such occasion when Jesus speaks about hell. In Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 41, He says, Then He will also say to those on His left, Depart from Me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then you go on down to verse 46, He says, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. How can one of these be eternal and the other not? They're both described as eternal, whether it's life or whether it is punishment. Hell is going to last as long as heaven does. And that's a harsh reality that we have to be willing to open our mind to to recognize what the scriptures teach. In our reading this morning in Luke chapter 16, in Luke chapter 16, as we see that. Uh, The rich man and Lazarus were told about that occasion in that story when they both die, and the rich man is in torment. It says in verse 23, describing the rich man and his predicament, in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in Agony. Torment. Pain. Agony. Those are not words that give us a great deal of comfort or satisfaction. It's something that we certainly would not want to sign up for, is it? And yet, if we remain in our sins and we do not give our life and our hearts to Jesus Christ. And that is the fate that awaits us. Torment. Pain. Agony. And when you think about all these things, this sounds bad enough, doesn't it? Just the idea of eternal punishment. Eternal Eternally lasting agony. That doesn't sound like something that would be enjoyable or pleasurable. It's certainly not something that we would want to endure. It sounds awful. And many people, they have this caricature of hell that I believe is completely false. We characterize God and we paint this picture of God as this mean bully who just sends people to hell against their own free will and then He derives some pleasure from torturing them, is usually the word that they will use, for eternity. And while hell is certainly and surely a place that we need to fear, it is a place of agony. It's a place of torment, not torture. All of this sounds really bad. But what makes hell so bad? Have you ever pondered that question? What is it that makes hell so bad? Is it the flames and the fire and the pain, that agony that we would be enduring? Or is there more to it? I believe the answer is a little bit more comprehensive than just maybe the flames that we might say. Is it the torment? Is it the weeping and gnashing of teeth that makes hell so bad? Again, that's part of it. But I believe there is more to this story that we need to consider this morning. And so I want to suggest to you a few things that I believe make hell as bad as it is. And it. some of it will involve that the flames and those kinds of languages that, and the descriptions that we see. But I think there's a whole lot more to it that is painful. I believe one thing that makes hell so bad is that hell is a choice that we make it's at least the consequences of choices that we make in which God allows us to make hell is the consequence of what we have freely chosen and inflicted on ourselves. notice in John the fifth chapter in John chapter five as we will all die unless Jesus returns once again Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 5 and in verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. And now notice in particular verse 29. He says, And all will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Here's such occasion where Jesus is referencing judgment and eternal judgment. And the dead are going to be raised for an eternal existence. Good and evil people will be raised. And since God is eternal, and when we sin, when we violate His commands, we are breaking an eternal commandment from an eternal God, and an eternal law that He has given us. And so the only rational and just punishment to violating an eternal God's law is eternal punishment. In Isaiah chapter 59, in Isaiah chapter 59 and in verses 1 and 2, Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot say, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What a scary predicament that Isaiah is describing when you feel some kind of separation or some kind of distance from God. When you feel as if God is not there, it's not an impossibility with God. He's saying it's not a problem with God. That he can't hear. It's the fact that your sins have caused this distance and this chasm, the separation. And you think about sin, it causes the separation. If you go back and you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, in the very beginning, when God created this world, and you see, particularly in chapter 3, after. Adam and Eve sinned, and God is walking among man in the garden. And then I think that's some um, colorful language, it's some um, metaphors and stuff like that. But I think what it's describing is this perfect communion that God had with His creation. And when we sinned, that was ruined. And we've created distance. Between us and God. And it's not God's fault that there is distance there. It is our fault. And what is so scary is that whenever we make that decision to leave and to forsake our God and our Creator, is that He allows it to, to happen. He allows us to have the consequences of not having Him as part of our life. He allows it to go on and to spiral down to every consequence that you can imagine. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, in Romans the first chapter, the Apostle Paul, he shows us this very idea that when we turn against God, God allows us to make that choice. And He is willing to give up on us, if you will. In Romans chapter 1 and in verse 24, it says, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. God gave them over, God gave them up to do whatever they wanted to do whenever we sin, and whenever we remain in that sin, when we refuse to come back to God. And when we remain so stubborn that we will not repent, God is going to allow us to face the consequences of that choice. You continue on in Romans 1 and verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. He goes on and describes homosexuality and that kind of thing. Again in verse 27, he says in verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. You see what's going on, especially in verse 28. He says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. They don't keep God in their life. And what happens? God is willing to let them go down that path. Hell is really a choice that we are making right here and right now if we refuse to repent and give our life to God. One has said that the door of hell is locked from the inside. And it's not God who is just sending us there. It's that we are sending ourselves there. C.S. Lewis in... His book, The Great Divorce, said all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. And if we find ourselves in hell for eternity, who are we then to point the finger back at God and say it's His fault that we are there? The harsh reality is that God does not send someone to hell against their own free will. Hell is a choice that we make. That is one reason why hell is so bad because we only have ourselves to blame if we are there. A second... thing that makes hell so bad is that as one of the choices that we have made, a very specific choice, is that we have refused God's love. So many times whenever there is this caricature of hell that is made that God is just this mean bully who wants to send people to hell and He derives some kind of sick pleasure out of the torture that is, that's there such a misconstrual of who God is. And I think we have just misunderstood the love of God in so many ways because of that. At least on a popular level. As Timothy Keller, he's a denominational preacher, but what he said on Twitter a few years ago, he said, anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. And he goes on to to say that the more a father loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. And he says, if I, a flawed and self-centered sinner as I am, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. Then if we look at... The world, it, there is anger. It, and it sometimes we get angry at the people who whom we love because of the choices that they make. And he's saying, if that's how we can feel, then how much more so can God grow angry with us when we sin against Him? And people they say, well, I just couldn't imagine how a God of love, grace, and mercy, how He could actually send someone to spend eternity in torment. And not to be rude or harsh, but just because you cannot imagine or just because you don't believe, that, that doesn't mean what you are arguing or saying would be true. I could say I don't believe in the law of gravity and I'm going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, but believe my lack of belief in the law of gravity won't change what's going to happen. And God's love and God's wrath are not mutually exclusive and incompatible or contradictory ideas as we want to suggest. And I believe what this quote is trying to help us see is that God's love does have a relation, have a bearing on his anger. And it's not that God starts out angry towards anyone. Because what we find is that God loves everyone. And He wants all people to be saved. In Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 4, as he's speaking about God our Savior, he says that He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we can see the extent of God's love, don't we? In the pages of the Bible, we see the extent of God's love when we look to the cross. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son There is no question of how much God loves us. There's no question about that. We have no room to doubt whether God loves us or not. But just as many people have chosen to live a life of sin, a life without God in it, They are refusing God's love. I believe that's one thing or a second reason that makes hell so bad is that we perhaps are rejecting the love of God and the God who does love us and He wanted to rescue us. He wanted to save us from our sins. He wanted to save us from ourselves so many times. We have no room to criticize God and accuse Him of being unloving and taking great pleasure in abuse or torture when we are the ones who perhaps have rejected His love. When we reject His Son You're refusing God's love. Hell is not a place where he sends the people that he hates. Hell is a place of the people who have refused God's love and have rejected it. A third thing that I believe that makes hell so bad is that We will have our memory. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in the 16th chapter, where we had our reading this morning. In Luke, the 16th chapter, as we've already referenced this a little bit in verse 23, whenever we find that the rich man is in Hades, he's in agony. He feels the flames of the fire. And he's just wanting a little bit of relief, isn't he? That tells us he's already miserable. In verse 24, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But then notice... The next verse, verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember. Remember. That during your life, you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Remember. What a strong word. What a powerful word. Imagine for a moment if every bad decision that you've ever made in life, and I've got a whole list of them. Every bad decision of your life that you have ever made that you had to think about each and every day. Think about that. Think about how that would affect your life. Think about at some point that list is probably going to get to be long enough and miserable enough that you're You're probably going to feel as if you couldn't do anything right. (laughs) But aren't you thankful that you can forget some of those things or at least put them behind you and grow and become better? Aren't you thankful about that? That you're not so. uh, You're not brought down to the point where you just could not do anything because of always thinking about every bad decision you've ever made. And I think this helps us understand a little bit the difference. Notice that what is described here for the rich rich man is that he is in torment. I really, believe there's a difference between torture and torment. Torture is something that's done against your will. Torment is whenever you... Or it's self inflicted. It's self inflicted because of your memory. Because of all the things that you have done. And while hell is a place, and you have references if you're jotting down notes, you might want to reference some of these things. It's a place of flames and fire, it's a place of eternal darkness. And I believe the worst thing about hell there it's not the flame, it's not the darkness, it's not the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the fact that we will remember every sin that we ever committed. Every time we ever violated God's will, every time we rejected God's love or the message of salvation, Every opportunity that we have ever had in our life, we will spend an eternity thinking about it. But in hell, there's not going to be an opportunity to do better in the future. we will only have the past to reflect on. We will only be able to think about those sermons that we heard about hell or about sin. We will only be able to remember about the sermons of repentance that we just ignored. We said... I'll take care of it later. Each and every time we close out a service, we offer an invitation. We sing an invitation song. And I can't help but think in hell, if we are there, then we will be thinking about each and every invitation that we missed and that we did not answer. Child, remember. What scary words. That hell is bad because we will have to endure the torment of our decisions. Having your memory in hell may very well be the worst thing of all. And again, that's not a problem with what God has done. It's a problem with what we have done. And a fourth and final point for us to think about why hell may be so bad is that it is in eternal separation from God. In the book of 2 Thessalonians, in the first chapter, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 9, as the Apostle Paul is writing about the second coming of Christ and how it's going to be a relief for those who are being afflicted, those who are being faithful to God, he says in verse 9, however, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Imagine that. Those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as He says in verse 8, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of and the glory of God. That's hard for us to imagine. That's extremely difficult, isn't it? Because no one alive, no one here this morning knows what it is like to have God's presence completely removed from their life. Now maybe you're not living right. Maybe you feel as if God is very distant. That God... Is not hearing your prayers, and that maybe you are doubting whether God loves you or is concerned for you. Maybe that's you this morning, but rest assured, that's nothing like what hell will be. Because even everyone here in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 45, Jesus is talking about. The principle of loving your neighbor as yourself and because God loves everyone. He says in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God gives everyone blessings, doesn't He? God is still in the life of anyone, the worst sinner imaginable that's alive here on this earth. If they're alive, they saw the sun come up this morning, didn't they? Maybe it's raining where they are. No one knows what it's like to have God completely and utterly removed out of their life. And by far, in a way, the worst thing about hell is that God is completely absent. God is not there. Now, that's how people are wanting to live their life here on earth. And they have no reason to complain. In fact, God is giving them what they want. and Well... God, while some people may not be choosing to serve God, God does not want any to perish. He is giving people the blessing and the opportunity and the time to repent. in second Peter chapter 3, in second Peter chapter three and in verse 9, as he's talking about the coming of the day of the Lord, he says the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He continues on in verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. That as God allows each day to come and to go by, and another day to come and go, We need to count that as an opportunity to get our life right. Another chance that God is allowing us to make certain our life is right with Him. Count that as salvation, Peter says. That doesn't sound like a God who is eager and willing and ready to send someone to just torture them for an eternity. What makes hell so bad is that it's not just this place of constant pain and torment. What makes hell so bad is that there is no possible way to find God's mercy or His grace or His salvation. Because God is not there. Hell is an eternal separation from God. But there is good news, even in all the bad news that we've been talking about, isn't there? This is not hell. we can still find God. God has not removed His presence from us. We can still find God's mercy, His grace, the love that He has. With each and every day, with each and every blessing, it's an affirmation and it's a proof that God loves us and He wants us to repent and turn away from our sins. This morning, if you are lost and you are in sin, and you've not been making God a part of your life, I hope that this morning you are considering some things about your life and whether you are in a right relationship with God. And if you are ready to give Jesus Christ your heart and your life and begin serving Him, we're ready to help you become a Christian. If you believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died for you, if you're willing to repent and turn away from your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be baptized, immersed in water so that your sins would be forgiven and washed away, God's grace is still here for you. Hell is bad. You don't want to be there for eternity. You need to make your life right with the Lord today. And if you are a child of God who's not been living faithfully and you've turned away from God and His people, make your life right today before it's eternally too late. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?